take your Bibles and turn with me to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, where we have been, if you will, camping for several weeks now, looking at this prayer of our Lord, or our, the prayer that our Lord gave us to pray. We have noted, and we'll note again, that this is not a prayer that Jesus could have prayed or would have prayed. He had no need to pray this because it asked for things like forgiveness of sins that we're looking at today. He asked for things like having his daily needs met, and his needs were always met by his heavenly Father. There was no need to pray that. So this was a prayer that Jesus was saying to his disciples and through his disciples to us, this is how you ought to pray. This is how you ought to view the whole concept of prayer. He said, when you pray, pray in this way. Now, he did not say, when you pray, repeat these words. It's more than just a repetition of the words. It's concepts. It's, it's an outline, if you will, of how we ought to come before the Father and how we ought to approach the Father. He starts out, as we saw, by saying, come and, and say, hallowed be your name. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. To, to come before God in an attitude, in a spirit of worship. Uh, to come before God acknowledging who he is. To, I guess, say, uh, to know who he is and who we are so that we get that in the right perspective. And then he says to, to pray for his kingdom to be spread throughout the world. And we talked about how that is the gospel being spread. His kingdom spreads by the gospel. It doesn't spread by armies. It doesn't spread by politicians. It doesn't spread by legislators. It spreads by the spreading of the gospel. And that's why we're called to be gospel ministers, not only those who stand in the pulpit, but those who also are, are believers in Jesus Christ. We are all ministers of the gospel to share that gospel truth, spreading the gospel. Your will be done, not our will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, worshiping and praising and glorifying God. And last week we looked at give us this day our daily bread. We saw there was a dilemma there. Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread to be met, while at the same time he has already said, but you, know, you don't have to repeat, you don't have to go into great repetition because your Father already knows what your needs are. We saw how what Jesus was talking about there was we acknowledge that it comes from God, we worship him, we thank him. Give us this day our daily bread leads to a, an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude toward the Father. And then we come to verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One thing that needs to be fully understood as we come to this passage is that the Christian lives through forgiveness. The Christian life is a is a reality because of the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus for all those who come to him, for all those who have trusted in him. It is a life of forgiveness. The Christian lives through forgiveness. This is at least a major part of what justification by faith is all about. We would have no hope and no life with God had Jesus not borne the penalty of our sin on the cross that we sang about earlier in order that we might go free. That's, a, that's something we have to grasp from the very beginning if we're going to understand what Jesus is talking about in this 12th verse of this 6th chapter of Matthew. You know, Christians need to have a grasp of what sin is. Jesus uses an unusual word here to talk about our sin. If you look at the scripture, there are many words that are used in the Greek New Testament that refer to the concept of sin. You, you've got the word harmatia, 
which is the most common root, uh, common word for sin. And in its root, it carries with the idea of missing the mark. Those could be sins of omission, sins that we just fail to do because we, we just don't think about doing them. The, the picture is that of a, a bullseye that's been painted somewhere, and the archer drawing his bow and shooting for the bullseye and missing the bullseye, or many times missing the target altogether. Harmatia is missing the mark. When we, don't, when we fail to live up to the standard that God has placed for us, that is a sin. There is paratoma which is often used to refer to as trespass, the sin of slipping or falling, the results more from carelessness than from an intentionalness. Then there's the word parabasis, which refers to another type of trespassing. It's a stepping across the line. It's the picture of coming up to the fence on somebody's property and seeing the sign there that clearly says, posted, no trespassing, and you neglect the sign, you ignore the sign, you climb over the fence. I can see Scott and Todd doing this sometimes deer hunting probably. They climb over the fence and they go looking for the deer where it's clearly said, do not go. If they're caught doing that, they will suffer some consequences. God says there is this type of sin, this parabasis, which, which is simply a, a going across the line, intentionally breaking the rule, intentionally going against what God has Prescribed. It's transgression, most often translated in the New Testament. There's the worst of all kind, which is anomia, which is, comes from anonomia, no law. Anonomia means lawlessness. It's, it's an intentional and flagrant sin. It's a direct and an open rebellion against God. And all of those words are used throughout the New Testament to talk about sin. Shortcoming, deviation, law-breaking, rebellion, pollution, missing the mark. All of those things have been used. But Jesus in this passage uses a term that's only used here to talk about sin. And he refers to sin as a debt. And he says, Father, forgive us our debts, our sins, these specific types of sins, as we have also and are also forgiving our debtors. Forgive us what is owed to you that we have failed to meet as we forgive those who have failed to meet their responsibilities to us is what Jesus is saying here in a very real sense of the word. But he's talking about with us this concept of something that pertains to, in relation to God. Now all of those do, shortcoming, missing the mark, uh, trespassing, transgression. All of those are in relation to God. We tend to make sin, in our day and time, more of a horizontal relationship. We tend to worry about more if we've hurt somebody's feelings or if, if we've done something against them or if they've done something against us. We see this concept of sin as something we do that affects other people. And while it does affect other people, we have to come to realize that at its very core, at its very essence, sin is that which is against God. You remember David, when he sinned with Bathsheba. There's all sorts of arguments about all kinds of sins that David committed there. He committed day, uh, murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He lied to his generals. He deceived his, the, the nation, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. I mean, this was a horrible, horrible situation where he hurt a lot of people. But when David came to that confession... After Nathan the prophet pointed in his face and said, David, you are the one, and he was broken before God, he cried out in that great, that, that great psalm, Psalm 51, and he said, Father, against you and you alone have I sinned. 
Now, somebody overhearing that sin might very, uh, that prayer might very well say, David, what in the world are you talking about? You sinned against all these people. You sinned against the nation. You sinned against thousands of people in that one act of disobedience that you carried out. How can you say against you and you alone have I sinned? Because in reality, at the very essence of the whole nature of sin, it is sin against God. If I hurt you, if I lie to you, I I. I disavow the very nature of God who is truth if I tell you a lie and I may be lying to you but I'm sinning against God because that's where the essence of sin lies in that relationship between God and man now a problem arises here and it's a problem similar to the problem we looked at last week we give us this day our daily bread and God's saying I already know what your needs are even before you ask me. And here's what that prayer, that problem is. He says here to pray and forgive us our debts. The problem is, if Christ's death atoned for all sins, for the believer, past, present, and future, as it did, and if God's verdict justifying the believer is eternally valid, as it is, then why does the Christian need to confess? Why does Jesus say, you need to confess, you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to come before your Father and acknowledge your sin in every situation? I think the difference lies, and the the understanding of this lies, in distinguishing between God as judge and God as Father, and between being a justified sinner and an adopted son. I think you have to look at this Two different ways to fully grasp what Jesus is saying here. Brother Ricky read as our text this morning in our New Testament reading, from, and then Jeff repeated it, and I'm glad he did. That was great emphasis on where I want to go with this. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, in talking about the whole situation of justification, the whole situation of salvation, he starts out that, that chapter with that great verse, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a tremendous statement. If I am in Christ, there is no condemnation for my sin toward me. Do you understand that? If I am in Christ, I have been forgiven, I have been cleansed, I have been covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I stand as one justified before the living God, judge of the universe, declared as not guilty. Not because I'm not guilty, oh, I'm very guilty, but because he sees me through the eyes and sees me through the presence of his dear son, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why, that's a tremendous truth. That's a, that's a great truth that, that this, this sin has been forgiven and it has been forgiven past, present, and future. There's nothing I will ever do if I'm in Christ that will not be covered by the presence and the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's my relationship to God is the, the, the sovereign and righteous judge of all creation. And I rejoice in that. 
And if you're in Christ, you ought to rejoice in that. If you're in Christ, you ought to use that as a point of your worship every day. Lord, I thank you that I'm in Christ, and in Christ nothing can, can snatch me out. I belong to you for all eternity. This is eternal life you've given me, not temporal life, not partial life, not hopeful life. This is eternal life you've given me, and I come before you, Lord, rejoicing that I am in Christ, and I am forgiven, and I am cleansed, and I am yours. But I'm not perfect. Hadn't been made perfect. I haven't been glorified yet. It's the New Testament terminology for it. There will come a day when I will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and I'll not struggle with sin and I'll not have sin around me and there'll be no temptation. I'll be there as he is without sin and without the presence of sin. But that day has not yet come. So while I'm justified in the presence of the holy judge, I still have this relationship with the Father. I still have this relationship with God as his adopted son, and I come to address him, realizing that daily failures do not overthrow my justification or your justification, but also realizing that things will never be right. Things will never be right between me and my Father until I've said I'm sorry and confess that sin. And ask for his forgiveness in the ways I've let him down. Most of us in the room here have children or we are children. I would dare say all of us are children of somebody. Most of us have children. I have three. I have a da two daughters and a son. They're scattered all out over. And, and, and you know, relatively speaking, they've been fairly easy to raise. As children, they've not been really, they've never given me any real trouble that I know of. Uh, but they never have. But, but the truth of the matter is, even if they had, even if there'd been a struggle, even if there'd been something where they had sinned against me, stolen money from me, lied about me, hurt me in some tremendous way, never would they have ceased to be my son or my daughter. This wouldn't have happened. Because they were mine. They were a part of my family. And I'm certainly not as perfect as God and not as good a father as God. But if they had hurt me, and I might have, I might have been very disappointed. And things would never have been right until they came to me and said, Dad, I'm sorry I did that. That was dumb. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I want to ask your forgiveness, Dad. And, and one of my kids did do that one time in something that was not that major in some ways. But it really made a difference when he said that. Or she said that. I don't know who it was. Uh, it restored the relationship Restore, it restored the fellowship the relationship never was broken I was still his father he was still my son or she but there was there was a fellowship breaking there that needed to be restored and the only way it could be restored by, was by confession and was by forgiveness Asking and granting. It's that way in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus is concerned with here. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, Come to your Father and say, Give us our debts. He started out this prayer. Pray our Father. You come to the Father and you say, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
There's a lot of bad teaching going on today, in my opinion. It says, well, you're all right until you sin. And then you have to confess that sin in order for that sin to be forgiven so that you can be all right again. And if you have a sin that has not been confessed, then you're not right with God and you are in essence not saved at that point until you confess it and renew it and reestablish it. That all your sins have to be confessed in order for all of your sins to be forgiven. I would contend to you this morning, if that is the case, there is not a person in this room, pastor included, pastor especially, that has a right relationship with God, that is saved. There are sins in my life that I have never confessed, not because I don't want to, but because, quite honestly, I don't know what they are. I've offended people, I've hurt people, I've I've done whatever, and, and I've just taken it in stride and gone on my merry way, and that was a sin against them, but mostly it was a sin against God, and, and I didn't think about that, and I, I don't sit down at night, I hate to tell you this, I don't sit down at night and kind of do a lot of spiritual navel gazing and say, okay, what do I, what do I need to, th- let me find a list here, and let me see if I can count up everything I did today. I, I don't do that. Now, when the Holy Spirit calls something to my mind, which he is wont to do, fairly regularly, when the Holy Spirit calls something in my mind, I immediately confess that to God if I'm, if I'm doing what I ought to be doing. John said something about that in, John, in 1 John 1.9. Again, a verse that's been, I think, woefully misinterpreted and misused by a lot of people. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Now, some people are going to say, see, Bill, it says, if we confess it, He forgives it. If we don't confess it, it must mean that he doesn't forgive it. Oh, that's not what John's saying. John is giving a little book there. If you look at the very end of it, he tells you why he wrote it. He said, I'm writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may be assured that you have eternal life. And the way he states that in 1.9 is a first-class conditional statement that literally could be translated, since we forgive our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That is a way of life for the believer. That is a mark of a Christian. A Christian is one who confesses their sins. But even the word confess that John uses there is sometimes misunderstood. It doesn't mean that we go to God and say, Oh God, Father, you're just not going to believe what I did. I've been trying to hide this from you, and I know you probably don't know about this, but Father, I want to tell you what I did. That's not what confession is. Confession is not going to an intermediary, someone who can then go before the Father for you and get your forgiveness. No, we are priests before God. It's the the priesthood of all believers. We are priests before God. We confess immediately. The word confession is not so much about telling God something he doesn't know. He knows it all. The word confession is is a compound word in the Greek language. It's the word homo legeo. Homo is a word that we know very well in our society. It means the same as. Uh, it, it means the same. And legao is a, is a, root, a word that comes from the, the word laleo, which means to speak or to say. And so homo legao, when it's put together in what John says there, he's saying if we agree with God, if we say the same thing that God says about our sin, we recognize that that's what confession is. 
So it's a matter of the Holy Spirit coming along and saying, Bill, this is sin in your life. And I don't have to say, well, let's argue about it or let's discuss it or let's see if it is. When the Holy Spirit confesses, I simply say, Lord, I agree with you about that. That is sin in my life. And Father, I ask you to cleanse it and I ask you to wash it away. I ask you to take it away from our relationship, from our fellowship so that we now have that restored and there's a newness to that relationship. There's a newness to that fellowship as we walk together. There's a dilemma here. And the dilemma is this. We are prideful people. We all are. And, and we really don't like to acknowledge that anything's wrong in our life. We like to think that we're okay. Some years ago, a psychologist wrote a book. I don't think I ever read it, but I, I had it in my library just for the title. Because it's such a terrible title. I'm okay. You're okay. You know, I'm okay. You're okay. Well, I'm okay. Sometimes I'm not so sure about you, but I'm okay. I mean, that's our attitude. That's the way we like to view our life. But Jesus says, no, you need to understand, you are a sinner. Even though you are a saint, even though you have been set apart by the power of God, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you still struggle with sin. And you still need to deal with that sin. But pride brings us to the point where we just really don't like to do that. But it's an important matter that Christians must learn that they must be willing to examine themselves and even let others examine them also for the determining of these day-to-day, what we might call little sins that creep in. I love how David prayed. David prayed, I believe it, I believe it was 73, Psalm 73. Let me be sure. I don't want to mislead you here. He prayed this prayer. He said, No, I knew I was getting the wrong one. In one of his psalms, here I am throwing something new in, something I didn't have in the notes. But he said, Father, guard me from presumptuous sins. Guard me from presumptuous sins. And don't let them rule over me. Presumptuous sin is one of those sins that says it's no big deal. Everybody does this. Oh, I cheated on my income tax. That's all right. Everybody does that. But David says those presumptuous sins, those things we see as little sins, if allowed to go undetected and undealt with, unconfessed, David says they will rule over us. Do you realize I don't know of anybody that I've counseled with over 37, 38 years of ministry. I don't know of anybody that I've counseled with that had committed adultery, that woke up one morning and said, you know what? I'm going to commit adultery today. I'm going to go out and find me somebody that I can commit adultery with. They didn't do that, typically. I don't know of one case in my experience. They, they started out by little things, little flirtatious things, little excusing things, and, and setting themselves in positions or places that, that they thought was kind of exciting but really didn't, you know, wasn't a, a, a really big sin. 
little by little as they excused the sin, it grasped their life and it captivated them and it started to rule over them and it took them down a dark road that ultimately they wish they had not gone down. We have to be willing to examine ourselves. We have to have the discipline of self-examination though it's distasteful to our pride. It's necessary. Because one thing you need to understand, our Holy Father will not turn a blind eye to his children's failings. Human parents sometimes do that. Have you ever noticed that? It's not a good thing. It's unwise. But they just sort of pass it off and excuse it and say, oh, well, they're just human. God never, never turns a blind eye to his children's sin. Now, there's a word of caution here. There's some who believe that because their sins are covered, because they are standing in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are those who believe that because they're, they're, they're covered, they're, they're not under condemnation, that they need not bother themselves with God's standards or God's statutes or God's law. That they can just go out and do whatever they want to do. John, uh, Paul dealt with that in Romans chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, turn with me just a minute to Romans 6. I won't dwell here, but I want you to hear this. This is important. Because you know what? Some of the Roman Christians were saying that very thing. They were saying, hey, if, I, if, if I've had the law fulfilled in me, if I'm covered by Christ, if there's no, therefore now no condemnation, What's the big deal? I don't have to worry. I don't have to think about what God wants. I'll just do my own thing. And this is how Paul answered it. What shall we say then? Verse 1. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? See, some are saying that. You know, if if God's grace abounds where there's sin, then let us just all go out and sin and, and let God's grace be even more. Is that what we're saying? Paul says, may it never be. It's a strong statement that Paul makes. Heaven forbid. Goodness, no, he's saying. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it as a way of life? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life listen we may still sin but a real believer doesn't like it it's distasteful it's troubling the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is indeed dwelling within you as the scripture says if you're a Christian he does he dwells within you he doesn't dwell within you with some kind of passivity He dwells within you in an active relationship whereby when sin is committed, the Holy Spirit within is saying, that is sin, that is sin, that is sin. And and until we understand that and say, Lord, I agree with you, that's sin. Please take it from my life. I want this fellowship restored. The fellowship will be broken. Jesus is concerned here in this prayer that we do what the old writers used to say, we keep a short account with God. That we, we confess. That we acknowledge. Not to get our salvation back. Remember, the writer of Hebrews says, if you can lose it, you can't get it back. If, if you lose your salvation, it's lost. 
unless Jesus comes and dies again. Nobody I know wants to deal with that verse. They won't say, well, if you sin, you sin, this thing, you know. Paul says, I want you to understand this. You are free in Christ. You are under no condemnation in Christ. But that does not give you a right to say, well, then let's just go out and sin so his grace can be more abounding, can be more clearly seen. He said to the Thessalonian Christians, and he said this rightly, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, he says, this is the will of God. Your ears ought to perk up a little bit when it says that. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What is sanctification? It's that maturing process. It's that cleansing process. It's that confessing process. It's that growing process whereby we are as Christians becoming more like Christ. It's important that we recognize that is God's will for our life. And so Jesus says, Our Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. And we could deal more with that, and we, we don't have a lot of time. Why did he go that far? I mean, he even emphasizes that a little bit more, a little further down, when he says, you know, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. And, and some say, well, see there, it's a, it's a works thing. It's a, it's a you've got to do this in order to get that thing, and you've got to earn it. And you gotta, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is simply saying that if you are forgiven, if you are in Christ, then you will forgive others. I don't care how bad it is what they've done against you. You'll forgive them. Now, you may not establish a great relationship with them again. You may not be best friends with them, but you'll forgive them. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is never remembering it against them again. Not remembering it against them. That's how God deals with your sin. You think he forgets your sin? You think he does? God knows everything. He can't be God and forget. We tend to forget things. He doesn't. But he never remembers them against us again. And if you're in Christ, Paul, Jesus is simply saying, listen, if you're in Christ, you are a forgiver. You are forgiving those who have sinned against you. You are forgiving those who owe you a debt even as the Heavenly Father has forgiven you. Paul said that to Ephesians. He said, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the standard. That's the model. Now, if they've offended you worse than you've offended God, I guess you're off the hook. But you're not off the hook. Forgive others even as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is probably the part of the prayer that we fly over the fastest. This is probably the part of the Lord's Prayer that we just say, oh, well, we know what that means. It ought to be an example, I think Jesus is saying, of, of taking time for self-examination, taking time for the discipline of self-examination, and then dealing seriously between you and God. 
tonight we're going to kind of look at this illustratively as we look at Galatians because there we see a Christian really blowing it. A really strong Christian. A really what we would call a good Christian. Peter, the apostle. But even Peter blew it. We're going to look at that this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you knowing that we need your cleansing. Bowing before you knowing that if we are in Christ, we are justified by faith in Christ and that we are being sanctified by the inner working of your Holy Spirit. But knowing, Lord, that we are still flesh and in the flesh. Father, because of that, we, we still sin. Father, we ask you this morning, show us your grace, show us your power, show us your truth. Lord, point to us those areas that we need to deal with you about. Call them to our attention. Make us more like you. Father, I pray for men and women that need to come and need just to trust you where they sit right now. I pray, Father, you will work in their lives. I pray for other believers who need to come and unite with this church. You're leading them to do that. Father, I pray for others that you're doing a work in about confession. Not to a pastor, but to you through our only mediator, Jesus Christ. Father, do your work in our, in our lives right now as we sing this hymn of commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.